people struggle with their salvation. The more sincere the Christian, the more they struggle. Carnal and worldly and rebellious and backslid people don't even care if they're saved. That, that's one way I... When I see somebody in that terrible anguish and agony of somehow they got it in their head that they're not really saved and all they want in the world is to be saved and that's what saves you. You understand that, don't you? Wanting to be saved is how you get saved. Y'all ain't helping me. There ain't nothing more. You desire and that's it. And I found the more spiritual the church. And that's because lukewarm churches, worldly churches, liberal churches, uh, nobody in them cares if anybody's saved. And the devil does not bother. We said this yesterday. i said say it again. He started talking about that. I'll say it again that... Uh, a dear lady, uh, she's a preacher's daughter, married to a preacher, and uh, probably 40 years old. She made this statement uh, last week in that revival in Knoxville. By the way, that pastor in Knoxville called me, and they're having the cottage prayer meetings this week. And then uh, I'm going to go back and resume week three, and uh, I'll have to cancel two meetings. One of them. The other one's going to, I hate it. <clears throat> the internet's a dangerous thing. <laughs> but uh, we're going in, we'll be going in our third week, downtown Knoxville. And a woman there, she's not a member of that church. They were there singing one night. I've known her and her family 20 years and just one of the sweetest, most sincere Christian families. And she said something is a bit of a, is a good, great insight. And she said that it dawned on me one day because she stayed clean, lived close to the Lord, got saved early, lived for God all her life, and it's continually doubting her salvation. She said, don't on me. That's the only thing the devil has to attack in yeah. my life yeah. is my salvation. Yeah. <laughs> Ain't nothing else for him to attack. Yeah. Oh, people say to me, I'm doubting my salvation. I said, congratulations. <laughs> you just told me you had it. Lord, help us tonight. Thank you, God, for Calvary. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the Holy Ghost. Thank you, Lord, for the Flint Hills Baptist Camp Meeting. And I pray in this part of the world and here in Kansas and surrounding states, God, that you'd raise this meeting up. As long as you tarry, you're coming. May this be a watering hole. Help us tonight in Christ's name. Amen. I believe these camp meetings are, you don't see them in the first century and you don't see them in the first 300 years of the former reign. You don't see it in the Middle Ages and and you don't even see it in the 1600s, 1700s. 
first camp meeting, and this is an, a camp meeting is historically an American phenom. It's the year 1800, Cane Ridge, Kentucky. And uh, they gathered up to have a week's meeting that turned into two. They stayed two months. 30,000 people gathered, and everybody camped out. They brought their horse and buggy, and that's where the camp meeting began and because they were camping out. And I almost did this at the Redfield this year, but I forgot the Holy Ghost hijacked everything. We forgot what was happening. But at that first camp meeting, they, they said there were five services going at one time, adjacent, next to each other. There'd be 5,000 people over here and a man preaching. And on this hill, right next to them, be another man preaching to 3,000. And over there, 10,000 having a prayer meeting. Just Could you imagine that? And you know what I, I think? That there's got to be more Holy Ghost poured out in these hours because there are more demons being poured out. And I believe in this. And some, you know, you got to watch out for these boys from the Bible college world. And all they do is worship their school and their class ring and their professor and all that goofy stuff. Ain't but one Bible college in the Bible, and they were all liberal. Elijah had a school of the prophets, and the 50 of them wouldn't go into the Jordan. And they didn't believe in eternal security or the power of God. They were pretty sure the Lord dropped Elisha somewhere in the valley. <laughs> That's Bible. I'm sorry. I got no other Bible for you. John 3 and 4. Now, put your finger there. We're going to stay with this theme. Go to Ephesians. We've got to introduce our people who joined us tonight. Monday night's really the start of the camp meeting. Sunday's always preliminary. Spiritually, it always begins on Monday night. Hadn't the Lord been good to us? Thank you, Brother Henderson, for having this meeting. Thank you, church, for the for the dedication, the price you pay to build a heritage. This is a heritage, and uh, godly folk have got grandparents who tell them what old time religion was like. And uh, these youngins here need to know. They need to remember. When I was a boy, my daddy carried me to a meeting and they were singing and they were shouting and preachers was going crazy. And they need to remember that God's Holy Ghost was unusual. I will say this again. Well, I ain't going to say it. I'll say it later. Ephesians 1. Good to see uh, our Christian friends, some of our new friends. Brother Oveston, Overton, Brother Ostefin, Brother Oveston, Brother Brother Pablo, Colorado. Good to see him. We love him. You ought to have a name that people can pronounce, okay? You know, just think about that. Jones, Smith, you, the courthouse, you can change it. It's good to see our friends. We love them. And that, their preacher boy here. How old is he now? 13? Amen. That's great, son. And he's... There's my nephew. Hey, Connor, he looks so mischievous. And uh, him and James Daniel, you know they'd be in trouble before 24 hours passes. I'd be disappointed if they wasn't. Hadn't the Lord been good to us? All right, Ephesians 1. We're just going to take maybe 60 seconds. 
and try to catch up to speed everybody that's joining the meeting tonight. And I don't often do series uh, unless I do series. And Ephesians 1, verse 4, you got a before. Mm, hadn't the Lord been good to us? You got a before. According as he hath chosen us in him before. Alright, and in verse 13, you got an after. In whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth. In whom also after that ye believed. And so you see in verse 4, God's the one doing it. He hath. <laughs> By the way, verse 4, he hath. God don't do anything. He did everything. Known, un, known by God are all his works from the beginning unto the end. And God don't do anything. He done did everything that he did. And when God's going to do something, it's because he already did it. And it's done. And, and he hath. So, and, and, and our burden is this, before and after. And the burden is this. And i got to say this. Every time I mention it, i got to say this. John Calvin didn't know what he was talking about in verse 4. Right, and Jacob Arminius didn't know what he was talking about in verse 13. Yeah. <laughs> one man wouldn't let hardly nobody get saved, just a few elect. And the other one wouldn't let hardly nobody stay saved. <laughs> every time you messed up. Yeah, no. uh, but, I mean, we're sealed in verse 13. Yeah. Good time. Read your Bible. And so we're not Calvinists or Armenians. And on Facebook, don't let them Calvinists uh, ask them why they can't quote Scripture. All they quote is men. And that's the same thing with all you little overgrown rebellious brats in the contemporary movement. You know everybody but seven of us (laughs) that's gone contemporary. And, And if it's so right, why do you have to defend it so much? And they go on Facebook, and or wherever it is, snap, slap face. I'm gonna, I'm gonna open up a slap face, slap face. That's gonna be the one I'm gonna. And social media and contemporaries, and 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 you know, you know, you got one in a corner when they say, "Well, what is contemporary?" And I would say, "Anybody talking like you?" <laughs> that, that's what I, I quit arguing with people. Just and. Uh, you know, I had one of them the other day. It's always a youth pastor. It's always, it's always a youth pastor who don't have to give account. He can join in with all the mumbly, grumbly rebels in the church and whisper about the pastor behind his back. Help me now, because it don't matter if it goes under or not. He's just a little old hip, scoffing, jumping youth pastor. Now, whoever the youth pastor is here, you're having a hard night tonight. Lord bless him. He can handle it. He's got a soldier's haircut. He's tough. If I have a church, I'm going to have an 82-year-old youth pastor. That's true. You're just setting up all these 22-year-olds. You're setting them up for failure. Amen. It's too many teenage girls for a young adult man to be doing that. Especially in the age with all these phones. Help me now. That's right. I'd get an 80-year-old man, let him teach Sunday school, and then tell him to order your own pizza. You'll be fine. (laughs) 
That's my church. Well, I don't even remember what we was mad about now. We was mad about something 30 seconds ago. We really was. We was worked up about it, but it's gone. Whatever it was. <laughs> we was tore up about it, but it just went away. No, sir. Contemporaries and Calvinists, when they get on social media, they have to quote men. They can't quote scripture for all their junk. So when I'm talking about before and after, needed to clarify that. Now, and here's our burden. Look in verse 4, before. And in verse 13, after. In verse 4, he hath. And in verse 13, ye trusted, ye believed. And here's the emphasis. Some folks, if you hear yesterday, this is repeating myself. Some folks, when they testify, they fit in verse 4. Because they wasn't looking for God. Didn't even know God. And he came looking for them. And then some folk are in verse 13. They trusted, they believed, they heard. And, And their story has a lot to do, it involves them a lot. And they can't help it, it does. Now some folks could say, I was going to hell in a hurry and then the Lord came and stopped me and saved me. For he even knew what it was, he saved me. And there's a back back in the south and the east coast, a lot of a lot of glorious emphasis on being under conviction. And and some glorious testimonies of how God put pressure on men and God looking for men and how God saved them. But I got to thinking about there's some people that put pressure on God. How about the four men tore the roof off? I mean, that's putting pressure on the Lord, caved the roof in on his head. Dropped a man on top of him. Help me now. All right. But better than that, how about the woman with the issue of blood? She literally, the Bible used the word press. She came in the press. <laughs> Some folks' story is, God had me under such pressure. And then some folks' stories, I put pressure on the Lord. Now the only reason she could, because he was in her town. But now her story was not, he touched me. They sang it yesterday. Cherith sang it. He, or somebody sang it. He touched me. Oh, he touched me. When I'm around Brother Chris and Brother Stephen, I can sing. Yes, I'm inspired. And my friend, Brother... But you know what? If she had to tell her story, we'd have to let Jesus sing. Who touched me? He said it. He said, who touched me? I want you to know, and there's something the Lord just put in my heart in the last 20 days, looking at this woman that came and she put pressure on him. And she's looking for him. And I don't know how that works, the foreknowledge of God, the omniscience of God, and then Jesus saying, who touched me? (laughs) And y'all work that out and you get to heaven, ask the Lord. 
Look that up in the commentaries. That's one of them verses they go silent on. They'll tell you what the word and means. Look at look, look up in the commentary. The word the means, I already know that. Tell me the thing nobody knows. No, it ain't that commentary ain't been written. And, and, and her story was, I touched him. I was looking for him. I pressed towards him. And I want you to know it's okay if you had to press in. Some of you, God came to you and you're trying to go to hell. He saved you and you didn't even want to get saved. It's like the Apostle Paul. We dealt with that yesterday. God just saved him. But then some of you are looking and seeking and pressing and you're reaching out for him and he acts like he don't even know you. Who was that? I want to give somebody in these days the faith to, to go look for him. Go seek him. It's all right. We got Bible for it. Zacchaeus sought to see Jesus, who he was. By the way, you know where he found him? Up when he got up in a tree. <laughs> I'll fire your, your hide, I will now. I said he found him when he got up in the tree. Come on, people, you got to help me now. You may have Presbyterian grandparents, but you ain't allowed to act like it in a camp meeting. You can't act like it. Your grandma may have been an Episcopalian priest, but you're in a camp meeting now. You better holler something. My, my, my. All right, so do you see some people have a before story? And that was God did everything. And then some people have an after where they believed, where they trusted. And, and we know we're not saved by works, but their story had to do. We looked at the Ethiopian eunuch yesterday, going to Jerusalem, reading his Bible, hunting God, wanting to be saved. And he had to have a soul winner. And he had to have an, a, a, who knows how long a counseling session. And he said, how can I accept some man? And then you turn the page and God saved Paul with no man. He said, all the men with him stood speechless. And he said, here it was, Brother Caleb, he said, no man. And some people's, some people's salvation story involved some man. It involved the man. And then some people's, there was no man. And the men that were there were clueless as to what was happening. They thought it was thunder. Well, it was. There was thunder rolled through that night in the voice of God. All right, now I'm going to show you a before and after tonight. This is beautiful. It's John 3 and John 4. All right? That ain't going to take long. I get bored with my sermons when I go too long. So ain't going to take long. John, John, my friends are laughing at me. John 3 and John 4. All right, you ready? Y'all already know it? You there? All right, you got a religious man getting saved in one and a wicked woman getting saved in the other. Help me now. 
You got a religious man looking for Jesus. Y'all ain't helping me. And then you got a wicked woman and Jesus was waiting. I'm about to run what I'm about to do. Waiting at the well. Woo! He was waiting at the well. And if that ain't a before and an after. And her story was, I just, I had five husbands shacking up. And I didn't even know who Jesus was. But he came to where I was one day and he got my attention. By the way, Nicodemus asked Jesus a question. But Jesus asked her a question. Come on, start writing them down. I'm going to do a contrast. And I have no structure. I know that surprises you. There's no system, no structure. You've got to write them down. I've already gave you three points. Y'all don't even know it. Caleb, you don't even know it. Caleb, Caleb. I've already given you three points. There was a man. There was a woman. There was a religious. She was a wretch. Everybody looking at John 3? Yes, sir. And that religious man came with a question. And the religious folk always have a question. But then that woman at the well, she was out, she was out of questions. She was out of answers. This is a before and an after. This is a religious person getting saved. And this is a wretch type person getting saved, okay? And I'm just going to draw comparisons and contrasts and look at this. This Lord's just been showing it to me about three weeks. I think I've preached it several times. I don't really remember what happens in some of these services. Sometimes I have four sermons and it's like a swirly ice cream cone with sprinkles. This sermon, that little of that sermon, and then some of another sermon and something. Alright, so look at this. Let's, let's start in John 3, John 4. Let, let's, let's compare and contrast some before and after. And, and you know what I think the Lord's doing with this Bible preaching these days? I've been in this about three weeks. And you know what the Lord, I, I think He's wanting people to, to really find the joy of their salvation. Yeah. There was that formal stream of the independent movement with all the Bible colleges and all the bus routes and I went to a Bible college and I had bus routes, okay? But they, somebody taught them that they wasn't supposed to enjoy the Lord. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. and, and the crowd that works their head off to get people saved don't even know how saved they are. Yeah. You're right. And don't even know how wonderful it is to be saved. I think the Lord needs to remind us how wonderful it is to have our salvation. All right, you want to play this? It's interesting. It's interesting. See where the Lord takes it. All right, let's do this. Now, I left my big Bible at the house. I didn't want to carry it in the airport. So I got, uh, this says, Ultra Thrian. Ultra Thrian. I have some running jogging buddies in the church here that we all drink barley grass and we eat raw wheat in the husk. And we're healthy. And so I got my skinny Bible. Ultra thin. What do you think, brother? Chapter 3, verse 1. There was a man. I'd underline man. Now here I am. I'm going to jump off the deep end already. Go over to chapter 4 and verse 7. There cometh a woman. Mm. So there's a man. And then there's a woman. All right, y'all want to know what? Now, Brother Hanks, Brother Henderson, 
Y'all, is your name Brother Brown? Yes, sir. Y'all help me think about this. I, I think I've seen something in here. And I believe it's right. I believe you got Adam and Eve. John is laid out like Genesis. I'm about to run. There ain't but two books that start in the beginning. All right, Genesis 2, there's a wedding. John 2. He first be... I'm, I need everybody to look at John 2, 11. Is, is that the right verse where he manifested forth his glory? And it's a, well, as it says, it's where he first did... A, is the word miracle in there? The word miracle and the word manifested his glory. By the way, for those of you that have been hanging around to me, formal Bible colleges and ain't been in Holy Ghost shouting churches, that manifested his glory. That's, come on now. I got to leave me alone. Here comes that other serving will swirl the ice cream. There's a lot of manifesting his glory going on. Why you be afraid of that? John 1.14, the word was made flat, manifested. Full of grace and truth. And in chapter 3, manifested his glory. Why would that make you nervous? Right. All right, leave me alone. Okay. Did he not? John 2 is a wedding. And deliberately, that's where he began his ministry, began his miracles, and began to manifest his glory. Alright? And then in chapter 3, he deals with a religious man. Adam's the first legalist in your Bible. And in chapter 4, he deals with a wicked woman. I'm seeing Adam and Eve. I'm seeing creation in chapter 1. In the beginning! I'm seeing a wedding in chapter 2. By the way, if you're saved, you ought to put your shouting shoes on. There is a wedding on the second page of your Bible. There is a wedding on the second, the last page of your Bible, the marriage supper of the Lamb. He begins his ministry with a wedding, and we are the church, and we are the bride of Christ. And I'm going to say that we're heading for a wedding. Ours is a love story. Oh, you go to that church over there, that preacher started going charismatic. Brother Henderson started shouting and acting crazy around there. Honey, the bride is happy. She's headed for a wedding. She's heading for a wedding. By the way, since we're on this side of the Mississippi River and these guys making up doctrine that ain't in the Bible, I'm local and universal. (laughs) You goofball, they're all right. Galatians chapter 1, he said to the churches... And in the same chapter, he said, I persecuted the church of God. Take that back to your little old stove-up friends and help them with that right there. Goofy outfit. They're both in there. I'm, I'm a member of a local church. I'm with the local church tonight. My ministry's in the local church. And yet if a naked savage looks up to the heavens tonight in the deep jungles of Papua New Guinea and he says, Lord, and he gets saved without a pastor, without a baptism, without a church, he's my brother. He's in the body. He's in the bride. He's as much in as anybody's ever been in. You're making all that stuff up. 
you got to read men's books. When you can't get something just out of the book, and you got to read men's book, that's the problem with Calvinism. So put your other group in there with your Calvinists and your contemporaries. All you got to do is quote men, read men. Leave me alone. Y'all need to leave. Leave me alone. There's a wedding. All right. Are y'all seeing this? And then I'm seeing Adam and Eve. In the beginning. And then the wedding. And then he saves a religious man who rules. And then a wicked woman who fell into sin. I'm seeing Adam and Eve. Adam's the first legalist in the Bible. God made him to be the head, but he got the big head. And he added a law to God's law, trying to control somebody else, make them obey God. I want to relieve every one of you pastors, missionary. It ain't our job to make people obey God. And we ain't got to make up laws and put them on top of God's laws. And I'm going to say something to all the men in here. Your wife would love you better if you quit adding laws to God's laws. All right. God told Adam that shut not eat of it. And somebody told Eve who couldn't even touch it. Deductive reason. He's the only other person on the planet. I'm going to say it was him told her that. I want you to look at him. I need all the husbands to listen one minute. Look at him trying to control her too much. Gentlemen, just give her God's word. He gave her God's word and then added a law. It done got quiet in here. All you single boys on the front. Are you boys single? You boys say amen one time. That's so pitiful. Come on, man. You got the gray pinstripe and the bow tie. You ought to have a good amen in you. All right, now watch this. Adam was the first legalist. And could you see him overreaching, trying to control that wife? He added a law. And it probably, it probably had, it, what's the right word? It probably had something to do with her wanting. All right. All night long, I have not even looked at that wall. I do not want to touch that wall. I don't really care about that wall. But I've been sitting over there. And if there was a thing tacked up on that wall said, wet paint, do not touch. That's all I would have wanted to do tonight. <laughs> Just a, And how many times I wasn't even thinking about stealing them cookies and the mama said there, don't y'all wait for daddy. They're like, what? Wait for what? The cook, the who? Uh. Huh? I've been around some of these boys that put all their family and all their flock under bondage. And you tell me why there's so much disobedience and why there's so much rebellion and why there's so much things out of order and all that. That's because you putting a law on top of God's law. All you pastors, take a deep breath and relax. You just preach the word of God. Amen. Because folks are going to do what folks is going to do. Saved folks going to act like sheep. Lost folk going to act like goat. And ain't a thing in the world you can do about none of it. And ain't nothing you're supposed to do about it. You obey the Bible, stay in the Bible. 
Do your church like the Bible says, but don't be putting all them laws on top of God's laws. And then Eve was, and there's, here's this woman, and this, look what Eve did. She's the first liberal. She agreed with Satan to change God's word. And then she reached up and got into things she wasn't supposed to. Legalism drives people to sin. Liberalism causes you to go commit sin. That's right. That is right. Amen. That's good. It's like Adam, they both went the wrong way, a different way. She didn't care about the law. Adam was trying to make too much law, and she didn't make enough of the law. And in case you girls thought you got out of trouble a while ago because we was getting on to Adam, <laughs> this woman not only disobeyed her husband, she disobeyed God. Right. She disobeyed her God and her husband. Yes, oh, she was in some trouble. Right. Adam was playing God, and she was ignoring God. Help me now. Yeah. Yeah. And he was the head, but I think he got too much of a big head. I know it did, because Adam smarted off to God. When he got called on the carpet, and I see this spirit in a lot of men who are not right with God. And when men get right with God, everybody in the house gets right with God. And I've seen this in, and I've seen it in men, my whole ministry. I've seen it in Adam. He smarted off to God and threw his wife under the bus. He called out with his sin. He said, "Well, God, you're the one." who gave me this thing. <laughs> and boy, he was a real knucklehead. And one, I mean, there's only two around, God and his wife, and he managed to insult and offend both of them. <laughs> like, no wonder he got him some fig leaves and hiding because he made everybody in his world mad at him. He told God off and he told his wife off. And you get me a man in sin, he'll smart off to everybody around him. I'm going to say something. You give me a man that'll talk ugly to his pastor, you got me a man that's either going to hell or he's a saved man turning into a reprobate. That's That's right, brother. Amen. That's right. That's exactly right. Now say something else. You give me a man who'll cheat on his wife, I'll show you a man who'll kill you. If he'll take somebody's wife, he'll take somebody's life. Yes, sir. We're in a military town. A lot of people get to mess around with other people's husbands and wives. I just come over here by the pastor while I'm preaching this. <laughs> I get in real rough stuff. I just stay close to the pastor. Amen. I'm afraid to look at anybody else. You get in a military town. Them men are gone six months to a year. Yeah, come on. You're right. A lot of adultery goes on in military towns. Yes, sir. A lot of fornication goes on in a university town. Yes. And y'all got a university and a military town. You men better get full of the Holy Ghost this week. You women better get full of the Holy Ghost this week. Yes, sir. You take me a man that'll smart off to his pastor and be ugly to his wife, ain't no telling what he's doing. 
Here's Adam and Eve. Let a man get right with God. He'll be sweet to his wife. Yes, sir. And he'll be sweet to his pastor. Yes, We're not Roman Catholic. That pastor's not the Pope, but that pastor is the under-shepherd. And he's a symbol of the over-shepherd. He represents God, not like the Pope does. Not like the Pope. You got a Pope in your church. No wonder I got the Pope on my mind. Let's straighten out the Pope this week. All right, there's Adam and Eve. Do y'all see that? Adam and Eve. Well, let's move on. There was a man, there was a woman. And by the way, God came to save both of them. (laughs) Can you believe these fools were religious people? Like Adam? I mean, hundred religious people are so arrogant, they tell God off. Adam did. By the way, Nicodemus come, and I don't think he is being a smart aleck, I really don't, but the first thing out of his mouth was arrogant. He said, now we know. He's telling Jesus what he knew. I'm sorry, if I'm standing next to Jesus, I ain't telling him what I know. I'm not going to ask him things of what does he know. I'm going to say, Jesus, what do you know? Huh? All right, y'all ready? The same. There was a man. All right, verse 3. I mean, chapter 3, verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees. And then over here, we got a woman of Samaria. Is everybody in chapter 4, verse 7? A man of the Pharisees, a woman of Samaria. The Samaritans were rejected because they were half-breeds. They were outcasts of society. Him being a Pharisee, he had an impeccable pedigree. And I just want to stop and say, thank God that he saves people who have a beautiful pedigree. And then he saves people over there on the other side of the tracks. I'm about to run what I'm about to do. I'm just going to compare these and then we're going to shout and, and, then, and then we're going to shout till Christmas and then till the second coming. There's a man of the Pharisees and a woman of Samaria. The brother under me, there's six of us kids. The brother under me is Jason. And uh, remember the year Jason got saved. By the way, all right, when did Nicodemus come? By night, religious people are always hiding their true business with God. And it's okay. Jesus let him come by night. When did he do business with the woman at the well? It was about the sixth hour. What verse is that? Somebody tell other people what verse that is. Sixth hour for her. Oh, yeah, six, six. Okay, and by the way, in, in this John being Genesis, John 6, Judas the devil, John 6, sons of God, right. Genesis 6, sons of God, yeah, leave me alone. It's fine, play with all that. All right, when did Nicodemus come? He came by night. When did God deal with the old sinner? In broad daylight. I'm going to say something. 
There's something about them great wicked sins. They're already public. And God deals with them publicly. But religious people, He'll allow you to come at night. And He knows that you don't want to be embarrassed in front of the synagogue. And He knows you don't want to be ashamed in front of the church. When did he deal with the prodigal? Honey, it was all out there. My son was dead. He was gone. Everybody knows what he done. He's hollering it out. He's been really bad, but he's back. It's a big celebration. When did he deal with the elder? Out on the front porch. In private. Nobody else there. Just the two of them. Son. (laughs) Religious people come by night because they're already hiding everything under them righteous robes. And they gotta hide the fact that they don't have it together. And they gotta hide from all the other religious people that I need to get to Jesus. (laughs) But if they see me, they'll think I don't have it together. By night. How many church kids, and I mean church, some of you may be 70 years old, but you was a church kid. I'm talking about preacher's kid, deacon's kid, Wednesday night, tithing, faithful. You grew up playing in the churchyard and your yard and no other yard. Church kids. How many of them are tormented at night? At night when they don't know. Yeah. And I'm about to say something, I'm about to run, I'm about to throw this Auburn University thing at like, and then catch it myself. Catch, pass it and catch it. That's how happy I am. <laughs> how many church kids do you know yeah. that got saved at night? Yeah. Going down the hallway on, <laughs> to mom and daddy's room. It's old Nick coming at night. Mom and daddy, I got to talk to you. And they say, I didn't go forward at church because I was embarrassed. (laughs) Jesus goes to sinners in the middle of the day to let them know he's not ashamed of them. And Jesus lets religious people come to him in the middle of the night because he knows they're ashamed. And he works with that. Yeah. Oh. Ain't it funny how we, uh, in just a minute, Caleb reminded me to tell the story of my brother Jason getting saved. When I point at you, that's what you're going to remind me of. I was preaching, isn't it funny, these before and after stories. People saved out of a crack house and then people saved out of the front pew. I preached in Louisiana last year and uh, do y'all ever do you ever see that alligator hunting the gator hunters swamp people shoot them Elizabeth <laughs> do y'all do y'all ever see that alright y'all don't watch TV I watch TV and I watch the gators swamp people and y'all know what I'm talking about when they you know bam and they 
they rolled them gators up. Well, that's where I was preaching. I was I was right where they live. And uh, old Cajun, Irby, Irby Fitch. <laughs> I mean, that's a cartoon character or a congressman, one or the other. That's that's a wrestler or an evangelist. You know what? Irby Fitch. And he was he was had a round head. People with round heads are amazing to me. He had a round head and a round body. And he had round shoulders and round, he was short, but he was and uh, Cajuns. Cajuns holler everything they say and they start their sentences down and go up. Where we might start up and then go down. But then they start down and then they go up. And then he hollered everything he said to him, like just me and him in his truck. And he'd be like, Brother Dean, are we going to go get some coffee? I was like, I'm right here. I am right here. I promise you I hadn't rolled the window down, turned the radio on. I'm just still right here. And every once in a while, he was, he was a character. He'd, every once in a while, out of nowhere, he'd lean over and pinch me. He'd just get, it's real, it's real. Brother Dean's in the truck with me. It's real. It's just, he was crazy. We were talking about how we grew up. We were talking about how we grew up. Well, I grew up in church. You know, the worst thing I did was, you know, steal the bus candy on Friday before they had it out on Saturday. And I also stole the animal crackers out of the nursery. Actually, I would just borrow a few of them. It was always very disappointing when people in charge of church supplies you know, didn't have bus candy where it needed to be when I needed to borrow some. And animal crackers. Who wants saltines, the little animal crackers? These, this generation ain't even never had an animal cracker. They've never seen a real cartoon, and they've never seen a real commercial. Don't you feel so? That's what's wrong with America. And then the closest thing to blasphemy I ever gotten to was licking the bottom of the Lord's Supper cup like you're supposed to just and then be reverent but I need all the church kids and these guys right here they know exactly alright most church kids are poor and we never get grape juice we never even had orange juice growing up and if y'all grew up with the big corn flakes box and if you saved your milk you might get seconds They're all young, ain't they? They're all young. They don't even know what I'm talking about. Yeah, and you might or might not get seconds, but you save your milk in hopes. And uh, so it's a great juice. And so the Lord's Supper, you know. And you're supposed to do it like this. The body and blood, drink it, put it down, pray. All the church kids. <laughs> There's one last drop of grape juice in there. My... I'm pretty sure that's blasphemy on some level. But if it's a sin of ignorance, get a pass or something, I don't know. So that was my horrid past. Early life. We were talking about how we grew up. I'm like, well, I licked the bottom of the Lord's Supper glass probably a couple of times too many. Every time. I said, how'd you grow up? Oh, Brother D. He said, I grew up maybe a little rougher than you. I said, really? He said, yeah. He said, when I was 13, there was this big boy. 
He was nearly 18 and he was whipping all the grown men in the bars. And he said, I was a big boy for my age. He said, my mama said, if you go whip that boy, then nobody will mess with you through high school. And so she drove me down to the bar and called him out in the road. I said, really? I was like, well, man, I licked that grape cup thing. And I didn't care who was looking. You ain't the only bad boy in this truck. Yes, I did. I said one time, I just kept licking it. So, man, I His mama blocked the road off. Hauled the bunch out of the bar. He said, Irby, whip him. I said, Irby, you was 13. Yeah, man. He said, my mama says you got him out in that room. I said, well, did you whip me? He said, no, but he didn't whip me either. He said, man, like 20 minutes, we were both on our knees in the road, hugging each other like we loved each other. He said, we were just, he said, we just gave up and was best friends. And then me and him whipped everybody through high school. And he said he wasn't even in school. And then he told me how he got saved and how the grace of God found him. Pulled him out of drinking and partying and cussing and fighting in jail. Huh? There's a chapter 3. And the word was a chapter four. Okay. Now, people like Irby don't ever battle with doubt. That's a pretty, you said, definitive moment. Heard the old preacher say, "Woke up every morning. Woke up every morning. The star wasn't there. The star wasn't there. Woke up one morning, and the star was there." Star of Bethlehem. <laughs> oh my. My brother, what was I supposed to say? Yes, you done good. I'm going to give him part of my love offering. I'm going to give him the love and I'm going to keep the offering. <laughs> Amen, boys. That's pretty good. Never ever forget the year. I'm talking about before and after. Chapter 3 and chapter 4. Nicodemus came by night. My brother Jason. Dad was in between churches. I was 13. I wasn't fighting people in the street on the bar. I was 13. Jason was 9. And for one year, Dad was in between churches. And we moved to a little Rogers Lane in Tunnel Hill, Georgia. Poor, poor, poor people. And it was rough in there. I did get in a couple of fights there. I was proud of but uh, it was with Chad and John and I beat up my little brothers. No. We had neighbors. If you lifted our window, you could almost reach out and touch their house. It was a young couple with two, two girls, one a baby, one a little toddler girl, well, like six and three. 
and uh, I heard sounds I'd never heard because I lived in a parsonage my whole life on church property. I heard cussing at 2 a.m., screaming, sirens, fist, babies crying. And for that one year, we lived next to Samaria. And the Lord let me have that one year to hear that. In our house, there was singing. There was grace over the meal. There was amazing grace. There was the AM Christian radio station. In their house, it was rock music. Blaring. It was weeping. It was screaming and fighting. Come out in the yard there one day and she... He tried to run her over it. Big old metal Ford, one of them big old 70s. She was laying over against a tree, weeping. The car was crashed in the yard. He tried to kill her. My dad was over there <laughs> on top of him, thumping him. <laughs> dad was raised in Samaria, and every once in a while I'd like to go back just for a minute. <laughs> and the guy was huge. The guy was huge. His name was Steve. But Dad was trying to subdue him and enjoying it a little too much. But Dad was, until the police came, and I just remembered that we'd hear them sounds from hell. And then, one Sunday morning, we all come out in our little suits that we get in yard sales and Goodwills, help me right there, and our little Bibles. And we'd all get in our little old Pontiac station wagon, going to church, and looked over there, and they're standing there, there's a little family with their little Bibles. She had on a mini skirt. It's the only dress she had. He had on just a t-shirt and a jeans is all it. But they were going to church. And the little girls were standing there smiling. And we looked at them and they looked at us. And Steve spoke up. Now they will forget. I remember saying, he said, "I went to revival Friday night. I got saved." <laughs> And he said, she's going to go get saved this morning. <laughs> it was in the plans. <laughs> and it happened. And you know, he became a preacher. And the last we heard of him, he was pastoring the church. And God saved him. And then their house sounded like our house. It's talking and laughing in the AM Christian radio station in church and and it sounded like our house. Well, my brother Jason got saved that same year in that house and he did one of them midnight Nicodemus runs. He went down the hallway mom and daddy's door. I think I'm lost. And he got saved. And I thought about how God saved a little boy in this house, Jason, and he saved old Steve in this house. And one was John 3, and the other one was John 4. But they both got saved. Oh, my. You want to do just a little more? Let's do just a little more. Is everybody in John 3 and John 4? 
All right. Let's do a little more. Y'all up for a little more? All right, watch this. I'm in chapter 3, verse 2. The same came to Jesus. Now over there in verse 4, he must needs go through. One came to Jesus. The other one, Jesus went to her. By night, I've already covered that, and said, all right, verse 2, and said, I'm in 3, 2, said, now watch that, in the religious chapter, the, the after chapter, the religious chapter, the religious person's talking and telling Jesus we know. But look in chapter 4, verse 7. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw what Jesus saith. <laughs> and so it's all right if he came and talked to you and you didn't know who he was. And it's all right if you knew a lot about him and you went to talk to him. I don't care how you got saved. I'm glad you saved. I don't care if Jesus came to you or you came to Jesus. I don't care if you prayed or he prayed for you. Some folk got saved because Jesus was praying for them. Some folk in here got saved because they was praying to Jesus. All right? And here's the religious person, Rabbi. We know. I want to come, now, I've already dealt with that. But hey, 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 isn't it interesting how much religious people know? I've already touched this. I'm going to touch it one more time. We know everything except how to be born again. When it came to being born again, it got real confused. Y'all help me right there. Our verse yesterday that just jumped on us, didn't know it was going to be our verse, and our prayer yesterday, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge. Some of y'all, your knowledge is the only thing messing you up, everything you know. God needs to get you in something bigger than what you could ever know. And it's the love of Christ. Amen. <sighs> mm, all right. Now, I love this. Uh, Nicodemus, and I'm almost done, if that means anything to anybody. The religious person said, you're a teacher. But in verse 19, she said, you're a prophet. <laughs> How come sinners sometimes get, they advance past us real quick? Teachers like here, prophets way on up here. Come on, y'all. Religious people are looking for teachers to talk about facts and stats. But sinners saying, you, you're God's man. You're telling me about my sin. Come on now. How come a sinner figured out quicker what he was than a religious person? The religious person said, you're a teacher. And that old sinner Samaritan girl, she says, you're God's man. (laughs) And sometimes we church kids can't find the tree because we grew up in the forest. But that person that ain't never been there walk right up and say, what's this cross? And we live in, and we were raised at the foot of the cross right, and can't figure right. out where it is. Right. But that person that's never seen it will walk right in and say, I know, I need that. Right. Yeah. All right, a teacher and a prophet. Let's see what else is in here. That a teacher. Mm. We know that our teacher comes from God. And miracles was what had him thrown. 
Oh, I like this. All right, we know. But look at her little story. Verse 10. Jesus answered her, If thou knewest. (laughs) I just love that. Religious people are saying, We know. But over there where they're running over each other with cars and their kids are getting took from them and their mama's in the bar picking a fight, Jesus walks up to that bunch and says, If y'all only knew... And over here at the church, a bunch of lost people. Now, we know. And down there, Jesus saying, if y'all only knew. If you only knew. Oh, my. If you only knew. And out here in these hell holes and slime pits of Sodom, Oh, that ought to be our heart to go where they're at. If you only knew the love of God and the power of God and the blood of Christ. If you only knew what God would give you. If you only knew. If thou knewest. I love to get around people who come from the messed up side of the horrible pit and tell about the day, the days they didn't know and then there was a day God let them know. Now, I licked the bottom of the Lord's Supper glass a little excessively there. But some of them looked at the bottom of some liquor glasses. You remember... At the Waters in the Wilderness camp meeting several years ago, Bob Van Dyke was preaching. And he had that missionary going to China. And old brother Van Dyke told brother Hanks, you need to let that that missionary testify. Okay. Put him up in that evening service. Young man with a wife married a preacher's daughter some beautiful children and he stood up and said I want to tell you a story about a 12 year old girl raising a pagan family somewhere in Chicago Detroit Cleveland one of those cities he said and there's children here I, the story's so rough she got raped in an alley outside the bar where her dad was drinking by three men And then she was with child out of that alley. And he said that little 12-year-old girl didn't have nobody in her life. She's going to go aboard, of course. But she had a grandfather, and he wasn't saved, but he had some morals. And he said, let's don't kill that baby. And that baby got born, and he told about that baby growed up in them same alleys until a church bus came by and somebody said we're taking kids to church and got saved and called to preach and went to Bible college and married a preacher's daughter and became a missionary to China I remember that morning he told us he said that was my mother that 12 year old girl 
there's folk way over yonder. And if they only knew, if they only knew the gift of God. Interesting right here. He needed the wind. She needed the water. Circle that. The religious boy needed the spirit and the, and the messed up girl needed the Savior. Hello. All right, there's two of them. And wind is what he needed. I'm in chapter 3, verse 8. He begins talking about the Spirit in verse 5. And the Spirit in verse 6. And in verse 8, the wind bloweth where it listeth. Now here's the sound of can't tell, can't not tell whence it cometh. That's what tears up them religious people. They can't figure this thing out. They can't figure the Holy Spirit out. They didn't have Holy Spirit 101 in their Bible college. All them old formal churches acting like we're Roman Catholics instead of born again blood washed. That formalism comes from the Roman Catholic Protestant side of things. Isn't that something? In verse 10, look at here. Art thou a master? (laughs) Jesus dealing with this religion. Hey, dude, you a ruler and a master? There ain't nothing tougher than dealing with religious people because they've mastered some things. But you can't master the Holy Spirit. You can't control it. Help me now. Oh, he needed the wind. She needed the water. And, it, and the work, the Spirit, and it went on and on. And look in verse 12. He's trying to deal with this religious man. If I've told you earthly things, you believe not. How she believe I tell you heavenly things? Religious people never do get heavenly things. Come on now. Now, he told, he had to deal with Nicodemus and said, you're a master, aren't you, big boy? And yet you ain't getting nothing I'm saying. But if he dealt with her, he said, you're a sinner. The word ain't in there, but it's, when him and her got down to business, he said, uh, let's get your husband down here. She said, oh, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. I've had five. And the one I'm with now, I'm just shacking with him. Which ought to tell you all something about how marriage works and divorce. There's some answers there, but. He told the religious one, you're a master. But you're going to have to have the work of the Spirit before I can get you to the work of the Savior. By the way, I never did get to this. In Genesis 3, the serpent comes. In John 3, another kind of serpent Yes, sir. I thought y'all was going to like that better than you did. I'm so disappointed right now. I'm deflated. I'm disappointed. I'm a little discouraged. I'm going to preach another hour just to get myself built back up. I thought that was great. In Genesis 3, the serpent. Now, the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. But glory to God, another serpent came in John 3. Is it verse 14? And as Moses lifted up the serpent, come on, y'all better help. I'll hit you with a bench or a banjo, I will. I got two of them out here. I got a bench or a banjo, I will hit your head. 
Isn't that beautiful? The Old Testament, chapter 3, had a serpent that'd take you to hell. The New Testament, chapter 3, had a serpent that'd take you to heaven. Isn't that beautiful? But he said to Nicodemus, you're going to have, there's got to be a wind blow on you. Several verses, there's got to be a work of the Spirit before you can get into 14 through 16, the work of the Savior. But he said to that little woman, you just need a drink. Water, water, water. And if you'll take a drink of this water, you'll never thirst again. There's your eternal security right there. What verse? Somebody tell me. I can't see the small print on my ultra-thin little skinny Bible. Is it verse 10? I'll take your word for that. 14. I ain't taking your word for nothing else again. Verse 14. The water that I shall give him shall never thirst. Why? Wow, are you going to lose your salvation and get thirsty again? I didn't mean to take a big drink right when I said that. It was like an impromptu object lesson. What about that? Hey, do y'all see that? I'm nearly done tonight. You know what religious folk need? They need that wind. You know what that old sinner staggering in out of hell's headquarters? Isn't it a drink? They've had enough of hell's spirit. They know they've had enough of evil spirits. They've had enough of unclean spirits. Just give them a drink. Give them Jesus! But Jesus is trying to give Nicodemus the Holy Spirit. And I've seen when you're dealing with religious folk, it takes the breath of God. Because they they won't agree with you on earthly things. Religious people love to argue. And, And much less heavenly things. When somebody starts a conversation with what they know, (laughs) he said, I can't even tell you of these earthly things. How am I going to tell you about heavenly things? Mm. What about that? All right, let's see if we can get anything else out of this. We're just about there. My, my, my. It's wonderful. One more thing. One more thing I see. There's probably a lot more, but it's just the last thing I need to see here tonight. In verse 4, Nicodemus saith to him, How can a man? But in verse 9 over with her, she said, How is it you ask a drink of me? I want you to circle the word man and the word me. Religious people try to fix others. Nicodemus said, now how are we going to help a man? (laughs) But she said, how is it you're even talking to me? (laughs) Yeah, man. (laughs) How is it you're even talking to me? (laughs) You know what we lost? By the way, I skipped this and I was so happy. Skipped a bunch of stuff. He had a name. There was a man of the Pharisees named. She didn't have no name. Isn't that something? God has saved the mayor of this town. He saves people with big names. And then that little old bus kid. 
back in children's church. And I know seven of them were playing. Who knows if they meant it, but one of them. <laughs> and probably nobody in here remembers her name. I'm glad he'll save them no names. And he'll save them big names. Now, I noticed that in here. Nicodemus want to talk about a man. And she's talking about me. You ain't never gonna talk folk into shouting. That's right. They're gonna have to get that breeze yeah, and that breath. Yeah. And they're gonna have to move over from how does this work for men? <laughs> and when they get in that, I can't believe that he's talking to me. When it moves from watching everybody else to I can't believe he's helping me. I can't believe he loves me. Brother Chris at the Redfield in Ringgold this year. There was a woman from North Carolina, a church woman, raised right, lived right, married a boy in the church. They had teenage children. He's a little too good looking for his own good. We'll say something. They ain't got much of this problem in this church. When the man's trying to be prettier than the woman, then you got a real problem, you know that? <laughs> He was a pretty boy. I like all these shaved heads. There ain't no pretty men in your church, sir. I ain't seen one. You ran them off. I seen like seven unconcealed weapons Sunday morning. This may have been the most secure spot in America. We're going to make America gun again. I may run for president. <laughs> he was just a little, he's too pretty for his own good. And uh, he left her. It's really sad. I loved the boy. There was like four young men in their 30s in this great church that really loved their pastor. And those four young men were special churches, 600. But there's four young men and they were all special to me. And he was one of them. Sin got in there. And he left her. And I mean, it's devastating. She came to the Redfield with their church group. And they told me at one point, I was somewhere shouting. I don't know where I, I was somewhere shouting or praying. And they told me that the group from Louisiana got up to sing, Brother Chris, and they were singing that song when everybody else walks out. Yeah. That's when he walks in. I'm talking about me. Yeah. Nicodemus is trying to yeah. fix man. Right, right, right. She says, you, you, why are you trying to help me? <laughs> nobody in that town will fool with me. Nobody in this nation will fool with me. I'm a Samaritan to this nation. I'm a sinner to my town. All the women hate me and the men. Why are you talking to me? (laughs) I'm a nobody from nowhere with nothing going on. And you're dealing with me. They got to singing that. 
when everybody walks out. You remember that, Brother Davis? She was there. That's when he walks in. And they said back there she got to shouting up and down the aisle. Old timey Holy Ghost shouting. She's raised in the Carolinas, Asheville. Her mama's a shouter, her grandma's a shouter. They they won more souls than never even tried. She got to shouting. And it's amazing the Holy Ghost modesty is in hope. When Holy Ghost women shout, it's always so modest. And she's back there and she's clothed. Wasn't doing the contemporary sway. Please give me a high-powered BB gun. Contemporary. That'd be a good paintball. Paintball gun. You're under a trance. You're under a witchcraft spell. Is what you're under. Give you a little charismatic sway. You're under a witchcraft spell. That's right, brother. Yes, sir. They said she got the shouting back. Some of the pastors sitting back there, Brother Robbie Burton, Lane Hamby, told me about it. And said she was a shouting and she was a saying, He wants me. He wants me. Because that's what he told her when he left. He just didn't want her no more. And God's Holy Ghost gave her that comfort. Capital C. That comfort only God can. And she got her some help at the meeting. As they said, she was walking the aisle back there shouting, He wants me. He wants me. He wants me. He wants me. At me, business. That little Samaritan, she said, You talking to me? You mean me? Why are you even messing with me? You want to help me? When some of y'all Nicodemuses get past, what's wrong with everybody else? Right. How can a man be? Well, now, that, now, I'm going to need to know how to tell all these other people how to do this. What do you right. <laughs> yeah. mm. Oh, my. Song of Solomon 17. I am my beloved's yes. and his desire is towards me. Our heads are bowed. Miss Cherith is coming to the piano.